Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that, it, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division amongst the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, He has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? May the word of the Lord bless the hearers of his word. All right, thank you, Sasha. Uh, earlier this year in the summer, there was a story that came out about a great Pyrenees sheepdog named Casper who worked as a, a, a sheepdog with a big flock of sheep in Georgia. And uh, one day as a sheepdog was doing its, its work, kind of herding the sheep, uh, a pack of coyotes came upon this flock of sheep, 11 coyotes. And the farmer was out there with his dog and as the 11 coyotes approached, the dog immediately went to work and uh, went to protect the sheep. Within minutes, he said, three of the coyotes were killed. As over the course of the next half hour, the farmer, as he explains what happened, the dog kept running up and down the, hill, or the road in front of the sheep, fighting off coyotes until he had killed eight of the 11 of them and chased the other three off into the woods. Casper returned back home two days later, had some of his own injuries, but the rumor is that, or the belief is that he didn't come back until all 11 coyotes were taken care of. Pretty impressive stuff, and that's the stuff of, can you imagine being on the dog playground, and when Casper shows up after that, you know, it's like, oh, that's the guy. Um, and if he was really smart, he would have let one coyote go, 
probably. Just, you know, go tell your friends about me. But when I heard that story and was thinking about the story for today, I, it, it pales in comparison to make a comparison of Jesus to a sheepdog. But there's some things about this that I really love in that story. This picture of someone who, or in this case, the dog, who understood so much who his sheep were that he was willing to put his own, own life on the line to care for those sheep. It's a picture of what we're going to see today as we go through this passage and see, hear Jesus make the analogy about himself. And again, we're not comparing Jesus to a sheepdog, but you know, it's, it preaches a little bit. <laughs> this is a passage in scripture that comes in a section where Jesus has been making comparisons to the old ways of doing things in the Jewish law and saying that he is the better version of those things. We saw Jesus uh, look at even the law itself, the law of Moses, and how he provides something better. How Jesus, or how God one time provided manna in the wilderness, this miraculous provision of bread, yet Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am a better version of that provision. He brought it to talk about the light of the world, saying, though God's presence was in the pillar of fire, that was good for you when you wandered in the desert, but I am a better version of that. And so we see over and over again in this passage of scripture how Jesus is presenting himself as the better version of what their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, our Old Testament, describe, part of their history. And now here we get to this point in, in uh, the story and Jesus is going to make a couple more statements of what we call the I am statements. The book of John is unique in that there are seven different I am statements throughout the book of John. Things like, I am the bread of life. Um, I am the true vine. We're seeing today, we'll, we'll see the, uh, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. So two of those seven statements are made today. Now, something about these statements that give us just even a deeper kind of level of interest and power is these are most would refer that Jesus was most likely referring to an Old Testament story where Moses when he first meets God he meets him in this story of the burning bush and God asked him to this miraculous appearance he's to this guy named Moses he said I want you to lead my people Israel out of slavery in Egypt into the wilderness and Moses asked him a very Unique question. He said, well, who should I say is sending me? Who is it who's sending me in to go lead the people out? And God's response was, tell them I am who sent you. What? He said, well, what's your name? He said, I am that I am. That's my name. You want to know what it is? It's I am. And I am is sending you. Now that to us in our minds, it doesn't quite make a whole lot of sense. But that became known as the name of God. It was, I, you can't define me. I am from the beginning, the end, the alpha, the omega, all encompassing everything you need, I am. And even in that same passage, uh, it's related directly also to the phrase, I will be with you. And so God's name is, I am the great I am, is what it, got, it became known as. Now, we see these I am statements, though they're not directly that he's not just saying I am as he did in chapter 8 when people Jesus looked at the Jewish leaders and he said before Abraham existed I am which is an odd stru sentence structure except for he was calling the name of God he was proclaiming for himself I am the one I am Yahweh I am the creator God over all 
We know that they believe that he said that because they picked up rocks to stone him and to kill him because they said, wait, you're claiming to be God. Now, each time now that we see the I am statement, it should call our mind to, oh, he is connected to the great I am. And he's using these different analogies to say all of those fall short. I am so much more than everything you need. So today, as he has two more of those statements, he almost mixes metaphors in a bit in this section as he has, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I wouldn't say mixes metaphors, but has two metaphors in one little story. And that's what we're going to look at today. And the question for us is this. For those of you maybe who you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, so long that maybe sometimes it feels a bit routine. It's just part of your life. But the question I want us to wrestle with today is when's the last time or how often do you stop and ponder the significance of the I am who is with you? How often do you stop and think about the the spectacle it is to have the creator God who loves you and cares about you so much that he becomes your good shepherd? And, and for maybe for others of you, you're still exploring things of faith and you're wondering, I don't even know if God is real. If that's you today, we hope and pray and ask that would you consider, what would it mean if Jesus would be your good shepherd? What would that change in your life? So that's kind of some of the things we're going to wrestle with today. We're going to get into it in just a moment. But would you pray with me as we begin? God, we thank you so much that when we hear this story and hear your words, that they're not just some fiction We thank you that the words aren't just from a guru. But Lord, these are words of God who walked among us, who cared so much for everyone in here that you came to make a way for us to know you more. And so, Lord, would you open our hearts to your word? Would you transform us? For some been following for decades and decades, would you renew afresh in us that belief that you are good? and you love us, and you are with us. And for those who maybe it's new, would you make that truth so real and so new to them today that we walk out of here transformed with our encounter with you. So we thank you and we give you this time now in your name, amen. All right, so let's jump in and look at the text here. And as we start, I want to kind of give you a a translator code here as we read this the text, and, and there's a couple parallels, a couple um, illustrations that Jesus is using. So this next slide will just give you, when you read this, this kind of gives you an idea of what he's talking about. Um, so what we see here is we're going to read about sheep. And so in this section, sheep are us, it's people, you and me. Um, pen or the fold of sheep. So some translations might even have the courtyard or whatever, but anything of that is equals the church or it's God's people. So when we hear that, when he says welcome or to get into the fold, he's talking about to my people, the church, my followers. Wolf uh, equals sin and death. Um, Thieves and robbers in this story are the religious leaders. Um, They can be, uh, there's a bigger meta-narrative that uh, may extend that out uh, that we'll look at a little bit later. But in general, that's directly who he's talking about. There's a few others in there that I don't have up there. For example, you have gatekeeper, Gatekeeper would be the Father in heaven or Father God. Um, and then Jesus has a couple analogies for himself. So that's your little translator um, as we look at this here for today. So let's jump in. John chapter 10, verse 1. I'm not going to read all of it with you because we already did, but we'll touch on some of the verses. 
As he begins, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. So it starts off already, right? So if you don't enter the door to the fold into the family of God, to my church, you're a thief or a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they will not follow, but they'll flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand the things that he was saying and what he meant. So Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. So to understand this analogy or the illustration that he's making is he has this picture of the sheep are in some sort of pen and there's a door that is the thing that will allow them in or allow them out. And when they go out, so again, he kind of has two analogies going at once, then they'll follow their shepherd, which we'll see that in a moment. So to understand that, in the first century, Jerusalem, the surrounding hills in Israel, how the sheep usually would be cared for was during the day they're out at pasture and at night they would be taken to, gathered together into an enclosed area of some sort. Uh, it could be if it was in a village, they probably had multiple houses and used the walls of the houses to essentially form uh, some of the walls to a courtyard where the sheep might sleep at night. Uh, we know right outside of Bethlehem there were caves out there uh, where the shepherds, where the angels appeared to the shepherds in Bethlehem, the actual location, um, you can go to those caves and um, see where those shepherds actually probably put the sheep in the caves at night um, as a natural barrier. Or if they were out somewhere away from a town, didn't have caves, they probably would have created some sort of a rock wall that would have three and a half sides to it. And, one, and there would be an opening. In every case that I just described, there would be an opening and probably did not have a gate as we know it that would open and close and you could just lock it up and go in for the night. But whatever that gate was, even if there was one, the shepherd would most likely be staying or sleeping in that gate. So when Jesus says, I am the door, what he's saying is there's only one way into the sheep pen and out and everyone would understand that analogy. And he's saying, I am the one who's laying in that door. And so if you want to get in, you have to go through me. And I'm going to protect who's in there and uh, who goes out. They're going to go out leading or following behind me. Now, he says, anyone who climbs over the fence to try to get in, they're a thief or a robber. And so he's saying that there's... In this analogy, the religious leaders of the day were teaching and proclaiming different ways to get into the family of God. Now, some of their teaching was not rooted in uh, some sort of malicious intent. It was their understanding of Scripture and their, um, in some ways, obsession of keeping the law because they fought, felt like this is our way to be holy, and so they would teach to be in the family of God, you had to do a couple things. One, being born um, in the Jewish faith. And the second thing is you have to follow the law perfectly. 
And if you follow all the rules of the law and you never fall short, and it's not just the rules laid out in Scripture, but there's the rules that they said are the rules to follow the rules. If you could do that well, then you could be in the sheepfold. Jesus was proclaiming against that, saying this is a false way to be welcomed into the family of God. So the first thing we see Jesus do is he says, I am the door, I am the only way into the family of God. I am that access point. There is no other access point. And he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come that you may have life, and superabundant life, eternal life. The thief, in this case, religious leaders, want to teach you something else that is going to take life from you. Now, Again, there's a meta-narrative that the thief, in our case, probably isn't the Pharisees or religious teachers anymore. But it's anything that proclaims a false gospel, a false way into the family of God. And in our world, that might be something like universalism, where we say, hey, all roads lead to heaven. Just be a good person and you'll get there. That would be a, a message of the thief that's actually proclaiming something that sounds like life, but it's actually missing out on true eternal life, only through Jesus. Anything that's based on your heritage or things you've done or any of that to say that's what makes you belong or not belong is not truth, according to Scripture. Now, so we know Jesus is proclaiming, I am the only way to have access into the family of God. Now, within that, we want to always leave room for the mystery and the power of God to work salvation in ways that we don't always understand. There are people who don't have a full revelation of Jesus and his message that I believe, out of God's graciousness, can see their faith and credit to them as righteousness, and others credit to them salvation, though they may not know the message of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that everyone gets to heaven, but what I'm saying is there's mystery in it and their graciousness of God, and who are we to question how he works his salvation? We know he's provided Jesus to us, and so we're accountable to that truth. In fact, at the end of chapter 9 that we read last week, the Pharisees said, are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus said, no, I'm not saying you're blind, and that's the problem. I'm saying that you actually know the truth about me, but you're rejecting me, so you're accountable for that. So here's Jesus saying, if you're accountable to the truth that you know, and I am telling you, I am the way to access to the Father. So he starts with that. Let's jump back in. Verse 11. Now he kind of goes with a new analogy. It's connected to the first, but he says, I am the good shepherd. So here's the next I am statement. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and he who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. So again, here's, he's saying there may be others. If they say you're their shepherd, but it's not actually their sheep, they're going to leave you. When those 11 coyotes show up, guess what they're going to say? Sheep taste good, go attack them, I'm out of here. Um, you know, any of us who live really in Encinitas, Carlsbad area, with, we have all the canyons. Uh, I walk my dog at night, and so we often see coyotes. Now, my dog's 100 pounds, so um, he and I have got a system, we have a plan. Um, 
And, and because he's my dog, I'm going to, you know, make sure we're safe. Um, the other night we came around the corner and there was, usually there's only one and they don't want to mess with you. There was two coyotes and you could tell they were looking at us and figuring it out like, okay, what should we do? And they wouldn't move. They were about from here to my wife. That's how close they were. And I, and I probably looked ridiculous. I was sitting there going like, hey, hey, woo, come on. And they're just like, what are you doing, pal? Um, and then I thought, there's probably two of them behind us right now or something. And they're just going like, let's get them. Get the tall one first. Um, now, when I'm out there with my dog, I'm thinking, I love my dog. I care for my dog. We're going to make sure we're safe. Now, if I'm walking your dog, no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't. If I was walking your cat, yeah, that's a different story. But, okay, sorry, you know. But Jesus is saying, hey, anyone other than me, I, that I care so much for my sheep that I will lay down my life for them. Obviously a foreshadow of what's to come. So he gives us analogy number two. I am the good shepherd. And any danger that comes your way, anything that's going to come after my sheep, are going to have to deal with me. And notice it says the wolf. And again, in this analogy, wolf is sin and death. It's the consequences of the curse of sin in our world. It's a life separated from God. Jesus says that I have def will defeat sin and death. So I am the good shepherd. Now there's something pretty cool about this whole, these things back to back. The first one he says is, I am the door, so I am the access to the family of God. I am the way to get eternal life. Now, if it's just that, that's nice. We have eternal life. Cool. But if Jesus is saying life is not just about what happens when you die and go on to eternity, that's good. I think we can all agree eternal life in heaven is what we long for. But notice he says, I'm the way to heaven. And, oh yeah, I'm also your shepherd who will lead you, walk with you, be with you, and will never leave you. So not only is he giving us access to eternal life, but he's saying, the life you live now, you can live in my presence with me, with my power, my protection, my comfort, my everything you need, I am going to provide in this life that you are living. I love that the two are together, these two, and this analogy. And he says, I am the good shepherd. Now this word in, in Greek, there's a couple words for uh, good. One is kind of the generic word for good. Agatha is kind of um, like, how are you doing today? Good. How's that pizza? The pizza's good. How's your fantasy football team? Not good. You know, all of, it, it's, it's just a generic word. But he uses a different word here in Greek. It's no one on the fantasy football team thing. You didn't get that? Okay, we'll move on. Um, so, some years, you just have to move on. Um, so he uses a different Greek word here, and it's uh, kelos, and this is good, and it's used multiple times throughout New Testament, but usually it has a deeper meaning. It's everything that's so distinguished in form or excellence or goodness, usefulness, that it is pleasing. Sometimes it's even used almost as beautiful. And so there's a depth of that goodness here that's beyond just the word, ah, he's good, he's a good shepherd. But this is, there's something so distinctive about Jesus and how he is a shepherd to you and to me that it's actually pleasing. That it's a, you would define it more than just, oh, that was okay. It's, he's a good shepherd. There's depth to that. That there's something in it that for you and for me we benefit from. Now, 
to the original hearers of this, this good shepherd analogy is going to strike them deeply if they understand their scriptures, and most of them did. In Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm going to read some of the verses for you from Ezekiel chapter 34. It was a chapter where the shepherds of Israel, who were the leaders of Israel, were being criticized for how they were leading the people. And I want you to hear some of the language here. It says, this is what the Lord God says, woe to you, the shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Should the shepherds not feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you, sh- you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you searched for the lost, but with force and with violence you leave or you have dominated them. They scattered for the lack of a shepherd and they became food for every animal of the field and they scattered. So it goes on in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. For the Lord God says this now, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd cares for the flock on a day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and I will gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on mountains of Israel by the streams and in the inhabitant places of the land. Keep going. I have the verses on the screen for you, the next two. I want you to see it, 15 and 16. I myself will feed the flock. I myself will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. So in Ezekiel chapter 34, there was this criticism and prophecy against the leaders of Israel saying, you've become selfish and you are not rightly leading our people into life. You're selfish. You're about yourselves. You're about making sure you have a lot. You're putting a burden on them. You're not seeking the lost You're not binding up the sick. And then he says, so I will be their shepherd. I will do these things that you're longing for. Now, if you are a religious teacher in first century, and you know that you would know this passage, this would be clear to you. Most of the Jewish people who have heard scripture probably knew this. The prophecies are something they knew very well. Now you hear Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. He's not just making some nice farm analogy. He's proclaiming to be the fulfillment of the one that they are longing for, who later says it will be a Davidic king, someone sitting on the throne of David, who we know Jesus is in the line of David. So Ezekiel 34 is now being fulfilled in John chapter 10 as Jesus proclaims, I am that shepherd. And notice his heart. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. You know the things that Jesus was being criticized of doing? Or healing the sick, seeking after the lost, bringing those in who were rejected and outcast. He was doing all those things, and the religious leaders were criticizing for it, for being the fulfillment of the good shepherd. What a beautiful, intimate picture of the love that Jesus has for us. Let's continue on. John 15, or chapter 10, verse 15. It says, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Again, foreshadow. And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice and they'll become one flock with one shepherd. So here's the picture now where he's saying there are other sheep. So it's not just the nation of Israel. It's not just the Jewish people. But I'm going to invite in the messages going outside of this circle to the Gentiles. Again, fulfillment of Isaiah. Uh, The prophet Isaiah talks about Jesus coming and he'll be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory of the people of Israel. So Jesus is telling them, hey, it's not just you. There's others who are gonna be invited into this family of God and there'll be one flock with one shepherd. What a call for us as we think of our brothers and sisters of Christ all across the globe. It's part of one flock, one shepherd under Jesus. Now I want you to see this. Contrast what you hear about Jesus saying he's a good shepherd with all the ways that the world tries to shepherd us. See, what does a shepherd do? But the shepherd provides everything that you need for your life. Now, this last week, I was spending a lot of time studying about sheep. I know, anyone else? Yeah, okay. So, in, in, in general, you know, usually we talk about sheep or dumb animals. Although those who raise sheep were pretty offended at that. I've read it in multiple places. Like, they're not dumb. Um, and in fact, they're rated, as far as when you think of animals, they said they're second in intelligence to pigs, which pigs are known to be smart, though. So they're there. They're really, um, I don't know if they're smart, but they have some things about them that are really cool. This is what I learned about sheep. <laughs> um, sheep have incredible facial recognition. They can see their shepherd and they recognize their shepherd and get to know that face, and they will know, even if it's the shepherd's brother, that that's not the right one. They can recognize the other sheep in their flock. So much so that if you take a sheep out of its flock for up to two years and bring it back, it will still remember and recognize who belongs and who doesn't. In addition to that recognition, they also recognize emotions. They've been able to track that if the shepherd has an angry face, they feel and sense, oh, there's danger and he's angry. They have compassion when he looks sad and they have joy when he looks happy. It's actually pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, sheep have no natural defense mechanism, so they are utterly dependent on the shepherd to lead them and they won't lead themselves. So they're completely dependent, but they're also highly relational. Now, I don't know how much of this Jesus had in mind and Scripture had in mind because we keep, we're called sheep, but it's much more than, oh, you guys are dumb and God's not. It's, oh, you guys are in need and God is good and you are relational. You are in need of this connection. And there's a Savior who actually even doesn't, he just doesn't just know you, but he knows when you are or it shares in joy and pain and sorrow and grief and all of those things with you. It actually gave me a new appreciation for sheep. It was pretty cool. I also learned, though, when they get sheared and they put like a coat on them to cover them up and dry them off, if you don't take that off and they wear the hoodie out back to the flock, the rest of the sheep freak out because they think it's a monster. So, okay, so they do have a little bit of a thing going on there. Didn't recognize you with your new haircut, bro. So, (laughs) 
But now let's look at this analogy of how, what we see about Jesus. He says a few things. One, he says, the sheep know my voice, and I know theirs. We know that's true of sheep. If that's who Jesus is to us, what do you do to learn the voice of God? What are you doing to recognize that voice? See, if it's just for 35 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're going to learn a little bit, and you're going to grow a little bit. But learning to discern the voice of God, we want to spend time in prayer. We want to spend time in Scripture. Why we have life groups? We have life groups to encourage and challenge one another. Sometimes you'll discern the voice of God from people around you who might say, hey, you're kind of going off track. I'm not saying I'm God, but let's help you with some discernment. And the more you learn the voice of God, you know what else you learn? Same thing with sheep, is you learn what's not his voice. I actually uh, just talked right after first service. Uh, Mike Haug said he grew up, one of his, his uncle was a shepherd, actually, of a big flock. And he uh, used to dress the same way all the time. And Mike and his brother would go out and try to ch- trick the sheep and dress just like him from a distance. And they would do the voice just like their uncle would do the voice to try to call the sheep. And he said the sheep would hear him. And he said, we sounded really similar. And the sheep would stop and look and like, mm, that's not, there's something wrong with that voice. Isn't that interesting? See, not only do you learn the voice of God, you learn what isn't the voice of God. So when you hear things that are filled with condemnation and shame and that voice saying, you're not good enough, you'll never measure up, you're worthless, you say, wait, that doesn't sound like the voice of my father. That doesn't sound like the shepherd. And you start to discern the truth. You start start to discern what is and what isn't the voice of God. So we want to start by spending time and learning that voice. Notice what else we see, that the shepherd leads us and he's leading us for our own good. Where he leads you, he's not leading you into danger for fun. He's leading you to places where you can have the water you need, the rest you need, the protection you need. As we walk with Jesus, we learn to trust that where he leads us is where we need to be. And you will have all that you need with him. Friends, when the shepherd who is good leads us, we're never in want. One other thing about how Jesus says he's the good shepherd, he uses this, it's very specific language. He says, I am the good, or the shepherd, the good one. Not a good shepherd, not one of the good shepherds in your life, but I am the good shepherd. I am the place where you will be led to everything you need. Friends, every time we try to follow the shepherding of the world to find fulfillment, it's going to come up short eventually. The places where you're looking for intimacy or acceptance and uh, affirmation uh, or significance, all of those things will come up short. If it's in your stuff, it will come up short eventually. If you're looking for affirmation and acceptance in your relationships, you will be let down from time to time. The good shepherd will provide what you need, the, the things that we look for in other places. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that is sometimes really difficult is it's hard not to try to find significance in the approval of others. And what I mean by that is I'm a public figure, so every seven days I give a message and you're out there thinking, oh, today that was a good sermon, or I've heard better. 
<laughs> There's times I get off the stage and go like, yeah, I've done better. And it's such a struggle not to try to find my significance in whether you liked the sermon or not, or whether you liked the music today, or whatever it might be. It's just a constant struggle. And by the way, I'm not the only pastor in the world who, who wrestles with that. You might wrestle with that. I know that some of you, even as teachers, you're talking about, oh man, teacher parent conferences come up. You want so desperately to get that acceptance from those parents. And I'm not saying that we're like, I don't care what you think. But if I'm banking who I am on your approval, it's going to let me down from time to time. But when I bank who I am on the approval of God and what he says about me, my good shepherd never lets me down. So the challenge for us is how do we grow into be people who find all we need and trust that all we need is found with the good shepherd, the good one who loves us, who leads us. He ends with this. So the good shepherd's in contrast to the world who wants to tell you that you can get what you want. The world that when you find you got what you thought you want, it will never satisfy. That's like the hired hand. Jesus says, I'm better than that. And he goes on and he says, the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one's taken my life from me, but I lay it down on my own authority. Again, proclaiming that he is God. Uh, the worship team is going to make their way back up. And as they do, I want you to notice as it ends, dissension occurred among the Jews. Many were saying, this man has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? And others were saying, well, this doesn't sound like a demon-possessed person. Isn't that a funny accusation? We keep seeing that over and over again here. And they said, but a demon can't do the things he's done, can it? As we end, I want you to just notice the intimacy that Jesus has with the Father and that he says that he has with his sheep. We know him. We follow him. He leads us. That analogy plays all throughout Scripture to show us that we have the shepherd, the good one, who is for you. He is for me. We're going to end and uh, do something before we get into our final song here. I want to invite you, would you stand? And we are going to recite together the words from Psalm chapter 23. Because in Psalm 23, uh, this is a psalm about the Lord being your shepherd. And maybe for you this week is a challenge that you would use this psalm. If you've been struggling, if you've been wondering, uh, looking for significance, struggling with maybe some of your shame and guilt, maybe looking for satisfaction in other places, could this verse, this psalm this week fill you and be the words that are in your heart? So let's read it out loud together, and we'll sing the last song. This is out of the uh, New American Standard Version, so if you have it memorized in a different version, just go with us, okay? So here it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. 